Jim Shoemaker, Ted Miner, Scott Jordan, and Jason Harrington are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., Securities Dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Katrina Schneeman is also a registered representative of Securian Financial Services, Inc., and is employed by Securian Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Welcome to today's program. We've got a great lineup for you today. Plenty of information, education. We're going to throw a little fun in for good measure just to keep you in in tune to what we're doing. And uh, we've got a special guest lined up that's going to talk about long-term care. But before we get to her, I want to just remind you that if you've got questions, send them to Jim, J-I-M, 901-683-0989. Now, let me introduce this lady to you. She is an expert when it comes to long-term care. She is a senior analyst with Secure and Financial. Katrina Schneeman, welcome to the program, lady. Thank you, Jim. Happy to be here. Well, I am excited. I think long-term care is a subject to a lot of people. They think about it, but let's define long-term care insurance. First off, what is it? So long-term care is simple terms is as we age, our needs increase and it's basically planning for the future needs so that we have care and ensuring that the money will be available for us in the future if needed. So when you talk about it in the future, I mean, literally you're saying if a person becomes chronic, chronically ill, they don't actually have being aged. I have uh, had a client that was uh, actually in a car accident and uh, ended up mm-hmm. you know, needing long-term care. It's really a couple of things that you have to look at. You know, when you can't perform two activities, of the six activities that's considered a part of daily living. Tell our, tell our listing audience those six activities. So the six activities are washing, eating food, going to the bathroom, mobility, um, transferring, and then dressing yourself. Just basic, you know, when we think about it, it's things we do every day. But if you, yes. are, if you are impaired, if you can't perform two of the six, you're considered to be chronically impaired. Is that the way to say it? Chronically ill or chronically impaired, yes. Then I guess when we think through that process, it doesn't have to be just an illness, but I know you talk about the fact that the Alzheimer's, uh, we're, we're seeing even with the new drug that's come out, we've still got 6 million Americans with Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. This is a problem for America. I know it's a, it's a growing number, even with the drug, it's still a growing number moving in that direction. So thoughts for you from that standpoint when it comes to what is long-term care? Alzheimer's obviously plays into that in a big way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in, in, high, in college, I actually went to school for neuroscience, and one of the big things that I focused on was cognitive diseases, so Alzheimer's was a big one. Um, we look at Alzheimer's, There's, and personally, I had a grandfather that passed away, and he had Alzheimer's, so it's pretty common, and it's growing by the, they say by 2050, the population that will have Alzheimer's is going to grow to 12.7 million. And that's almost twice as much as they are today. So it's something that, you know, medical professionals are keeping their eyes out. There's a lot of research, but there's not a lot of funding for these areas. Um, So we're keeping our eyes out for providing care for people who have cognitive uh, disabilities. And even with Alzheimer's, there's dementia, which is different than Alzheimer's, but people still need care with that. 
Um, there's also a few others that are diabetes and people with arthritis um, are also pretty common to need long-term care in the future. And like you mentioned before, it doesn't, there can be early onset, so you don't have to be in the age range of like the 80s, which we see is most commonly going on long-term care. Um, so it can come earlier, but we just want to be prepared if we do need care. If you just joined me, my guest is Katrina, Katrina Schneeman. She is a senior analyst with Secure and Financial and specializes in long-term care. And she's answering our questions about what is long-term care? Why do we need it? I guess the question that comes up, Katrina, a lot, what are the benefits? Who actually benefits? I know I know, we're talking about the patient, but there's more than mm-hmm. just the patient benefiting from long-term care. Yes. So first and foremost, the patient, like you said, they will benefit from care being received. But one of the big things we want to look at with long-term care is who is giving the care. So there's caregivers, there can be professional, um, so nurses, at-home aides, or one of the most common that we see is family members giving care. Uh, So long-term care, they can, and it depends on which type of plan you're going for, but it can provide care and payment for this home aid for your uh, family members. And then it also takes a little bit of that um, ease of mind for the family members that they're getting care, that they're getting provided for. Um, but one big thing with when we talk about benefits is uh, when we look at uh, family members providing care, there can be an emotional and a physical toll on them um, going through waking up doing all the activities, like they said, the activities of daily living they need help with. Um, so they're providing that. Some people have to take off work, so taking leave from work and taking care of the, the family members in these cases, it can take an emotional role um, toll on the on the caregivers too. Well, you talk about the emotion side of it. I know that is a key for a lot of people providing care. Now, when you when we think mm-hmm. of long-term care, I think the question that came in, and I think it's a legitimate question, the reality is where do, do I have to be in a nursing home? Well, you've already kind of implied that a nursing home may be the last step of a person's life, but long-term mm-hmm. care can actually begin at home. It can begin with a family member providing care. It can provide a person coming in. So so how, do you, how does that work, that a person can all of a sudden find themselves needing, again, two of the six, they cannot perform two of those six of your names, we'll name them again, just to go back over that. If you cannot, you, you have struggle eating, dressing, bathing, toileting, countenance, and mobility. Those six of those things, two of them, you're considered to be chronically ill or chronically impaired. So, Katrina, when you think about it, it's not just nursing home care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just nursing home care. So one of the um, probably the most common things we see is help around the house. So maybe there is a family member, a grandparent that lives alone, and they no longer can do the cleaning around the house. They can't do the shoveling. If you're in Minnesota like me, it's a snowstorm, so you need help shoveling or mowing the lawn. So um, some of these programs, it depends on which plan you get, but you can use that money to uh, pay maybe a grandchild or the neighbor next door to Um, mow the lawn or uh, shovel or do the cleaning on the inside you can get cleaning services too so there's a lot of there's a big scope of what long-term care can cover and it's not just 
caring for the medical aspects. Wow, well, that is so critical. So many people don't, I mean, you think of it as being an insurance policy for the nursing home, but you're telling me that there's just much more to it. Now, I know you mentioned that the permanent determines what kind of policy you have. So knowing that, I know there's two kinds, cash indemnity and reimbursement design plans. And so tell me what the two different, the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. So cash indemnity, that's basically your, your care, your choice. So this is a policy that will give you a monthly benefit, usually in the form of a check that goes to your account every month, and then you can decide what you do with that money. So you can, like I said, give it to a neighbor boy, pay him $5 to take out the trash or something like that, or have um, your, your neighbor next door also do uh, the shoveling and stuff like that. But then there's the reimbursement style, and this is when you pay out of pocket and then you submit receipts to the company, and then that has to get approved uh, basically for um, the insurance com- company needs to approve that to make sure that it's qualified for the expense of long-term care. So cash indemnity, it's freely use it, reimbursement. You can still use it, but you need to go through the process of submitting receipts and getting that approved through the insurance company. You know, that's, uh, I hate to ask this question, but I know know somebody's listening right now thinking, okay, that sounded good. You know, cash, your choice, your care, your choice kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you saying that. And then that idea of submitting receipts. Now, I'm not putting on you the spot, but uh, somebody's <laughs> going to ask. So which do you prefer? Which which do you think would be the best for the client? To me, cash indemnity is the best because it gives the uh, client and their family flexibility. Um, and it also just pro- provides a little bit more freedom. And I, one big thing is um, when people are needing this care, they want to feel like they're still in control because there's a lot of things in their life that they're not going to be in control of. So they want to be able to say, hey, I want this person to give me care or I want to go to this facility and be able to pay for it without having the insurance company approving it. Um, and so it's it's just a lot easier for the client and also the insurance company too. <laughs> well, that makes a lot of sense too. Joining us in the studio is Ted Miner. He's got a question for you, Katrina. And he just wants to see, I mean, the bottom line is we're all thinking about it. We've got three guys here in the in the studio with us, and uh, we're going to open up the lines for the, Ted and just let him ask this question. Because, again, I think we're trying to, we hear, we hear questions all the time. And the questions this time is, do I need it? What kind do I need? And, and what does it really care? And a lot of people just think it's long-term care for the nursing home. But, Ted, you've got a question for Katrina. Yeah, Katrina, can you uh, give me an idea of what the difference in the cost of an indemnity policy versus a reimbursement policy may cost? Yeah, so usually reimbursements, because they're approved, um, they tend to be a little bit cheaper than the cash indemnity products. Um, so that is why some people go with the reimbursement style. It gives a little bit um, less expensive for the uh, the the acts that they're getting, so the care that they're getting, um, because they have to be approved uh, pre-use, and so the reimbursement will be uh, most likely a little bit cheaper, but that's not for everything, um, it's just in general. And on the cash indemnity, once you qualify with the two activities of daily living that you can't do, is there requalification periods for that, or once you qualify, you qualify for the rest of your life getting that monthly income? So for cash indemnity in most policies, there will be a timeline that you'll be getting that monthly benefit. 
Um, most commonly, it's around two to six years of benefit. Um, and you can always go off claim. So if you get better and you can do all the six activities of daily living, um, you can go off claim. And then there's usually still that bucket of money that can be used if anything happens again in the future. Mm, thank you. That's really good questions too, Ted. Thank you so much. Well, mm-hmm. I guess uh, my thought, closing re- question for you, Katrina, again, you know, you, you talk about, you, I appreciate you simply saying, I guess the one's more expensive, but, you know, one's going to provide. I mean, obviously the insurance company is going to require some things that makes it maybe a little less expensive versus just having the money in the big pot and you reach in and get it. But I guess mm-hmm. to qualify, if you can't perform the two of the six, you're too late to qualify. So when does a person need to start looking for the purchase mm-hmm. of long-term care? I, For that, I would say as early as you can. I know it is kind of one of those things that you look at and you say, oh, I can do it in the future, in the future. Um, when things actually start looking like I'll need it, then I'll do it. And that's when people start self-funding and then it gets too expensive. Yeah. And then they don't get the care they want. So for most commonly, I see people, even earliest, uh, 40s, we see them getting these plans. Um, But most of the time, it's around 50s to 60s. People will come to us and want these plans uh, and just put some money into the plan, and then you can see it grow, and then when you'll need it, that money will be there um, in the future. So most commonly around 50s, 60s. Yeah, that's a great answer. You know, I, I tell everybody, you don't insure the house when you're standing in the front yard and you can see the smoke coming out the back door, that's a little late. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate it. Katrina Sneeman, she is a senior analyst at Securian Financial, expert when it comes to long-term care. Lady, we so much appreciate you being with us this morning. We'll do this again. Great answers to some great questions. Thank you, lady. Thank you so much, Jim. Have a great day. You too. Well, she does a great job. Katrina Schneeman, she does a fabulous job with us, and just uh, we appreciate her giving us some great information. Ted, great question, and I'm going to lean in with you because we're talking about another question that comes about, and it's that political basketball that's thrown all over football, whatever you want to, whatever sport you want to make it. Is Social Security going to be around when I'm ready to retire? And I don't know if that's coming from a 25-year-old or a 75-year-old. Bottom line is, it's the question, because we know prior to the elections, it became a political conversation that the Republicans, quote-unquote, are going to damage or not take it away. Nobody, it's just it's amazing that how we can use that to get somebody's attention, but it's always that it's always important for somebody listening. Well if you look at the 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 size of the population that's involved with social security benefits, then it's a huge political football. And anytime either the left or the right can sit there and and make game of it in yeah. their favor then it becomes uh, it becomes votes in their favor. So that's that's the reason there's all these discussions about it. In terms of your question whether it's going to be around, Jim, the way the Social Security system is set up, the Social Security system will no longer be around when there's never there's no more income from anybody, because the Social Security system eighty percent is funded by by weekly income that you and I produce. That's where 80% of the funding comes from. Now, everybody hears all about the the trust fund. The trust fund is 20%, the other 20% of that. That is excess contributions that were collected in the past when we were collecting more than we actually paid out. 
but that's not the case today. We're actually paying out a little bit more. That's why money is being drawn from that trust fund. So they're all the time hearing about the trust funds going away. And I think, I think the current date for that's 2032. They got about another 10 years of funding in that. But there's so many things that can be done to change Social Security. Uh, we were talking about before the fact that when Social Security was implemented in 1935, uh, retirement age was 65. Today, uh, someone that's born today, their, their full retirement age is 67. That's only two years. But from 1965 to today, man's living 20 years longer. So, you know, the, fu- the, the system really wasn't made for that. It wasn't made for a 20-year retirement that people are having today. Uh, you know, it was designed for maybe five, six, seven years that that uh, that you and your practice years ago were were busy uh, planning for. Today, when we plan, we plan for people living ninety and ninety four, ninety five years years of age, which yeah, is common. That's a common thought, and you know, it's hard. For, I want everybody listening to realize that that's part of a planning process. If you think sixty five is quote unquote retirement. You've got another, we have to plan for another 30 years. I mean, it may be less than that. It may be longer than that. We've got Scott Jordan's going to join us in just a few minutes, and so is Jason Harrington. And I know we've got clients that are now over 95 years old. And, and the reality is that's something you mentioned earlier. In 1900, the average the, you know, mortality rate was 42. So yeah. we're definitely, that's 100 and some odd years later, and we're definitely living much, much longer. And that's important for us to think about. So, you know, let me ask this question because Social Security is on a lot of people's mind, especially because of the prior to the election, again, back to what I was talking about. But, you know, it's also on their mind because it is a little complicated. Well, Just, yeah, a little. It's it little, it yeah, is, yeah. and and it's. Uh, I think the, because it's been put together a piecemeal. They they have legislation, and legislation sometimes involves certain age groups. It doesn't involve everybody, and we, so we've got that those those rules that we have. I think there's over twenty seven hundred rules to the Social Security system, and it's kind of like anything else. Uh, people don't engage themselves in learning about it until they're ready to use it. Now, there's a lot to plan for. And, you know, we as planners, we try to get people, we would like to talk to people 10 years before they start getting ready to plan. Because if there's, if there's things you have to do, if there's, if there's changes you have to make, we need to have time to implement those changes. Well, most people that get ready to retire, sometimes they come in the office and we're sitting down talking. They don't even know what their Social Security benefit's going to be. They have no idea what it is. And, and their, their philosophy is, well, dad did it, mom did it, so I'm going to turn mine on. They don't even know when they're going to turn it on. They don't know how those things affect it. So there's lots of uh, intricacies about, the, the, about Social Security that people just have not engaged themselves to know. And there's lots of studies out there. And, and another thing, people get their information from the wrong sources many times, too. <laughs> no kidding. Well, when we, we're going to take a break in a few minutes. But the reality I want everybody to realize, we're going to talk about some factors. Ted's going to go through some factors about affecting how much you can collect when it comes to Social Security. Factors, it, it should be common knowledge. But according to a survey, they... Lots of people just don't pay attention, kind of what you're talking about, Ted. And coming up also, Jason is going, Jason Harrington and and Scott Jordan are going to give us some tips when it comes to financial planning or financial, just how to get financially fit. I mean, there's four or five things, folks, that are just critical. And we're going to start kind of giving you insight into that for the next, I guess, couple of shows because we want you to prepare for what's going on in 2023. Now, I hope you understand that as we go through this, it's going to be an outline. So you want to grab a pencil and a piece of paper, something you can write down. If you're driving, 
that's okay. You can listen to the podcast later. To remind you that if you want to listen to the podcast, just go to Talk Money at uh, with Jim Shoemaker, Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you get your you know listen to a podcast, and it's just simply. Just talk money with Jim Shoemaker, and that's all you got to do to listen to it. So do that, and if you've got questions for us, all you got to do is send it to the text line, J-I-M. Type in J-I-M to the text line, 901-683-0989, and we'll get your questions on the air. Or you can send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. So here's the lineup. Coming up, we've got Ted Miners going to give us some factors affecting how much you can collect when it comes to Social Security, things that you should know, and yet we find out people don't. And then tips on becoming financially fit. You don't want to miss that. That's uh, Scott Jordan and Jason Harrington. We're going to dive into that too in just a few minutes. So stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Shoemaker Financial is not affiliated with Katrina Schneeman. The views and opinions expressed are those of Katrina only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Listening to Talk Money. Just remind you, just if you want to find the show or the podcast, just go to Simply Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd appreciate you doing that. I want to remind you, we've got tips on how to become financially fit coming up with Jason Harrington and Scott Jordan. But first, Ted, you were describing this idea behind the mortality changes, the fact that Social Security, 80% of it comes from our worker force in the United States. The trust, obviously, the other 20%, it's uh, supposed to run out of money by 2032 if we put no more money into it. And that's minor tweaks. You know, you go back to 1935 when it started, retirement age was 65. Now for those that are young workers, it's 67, but mortality is going all the way out. So that's kind of the, the disparity is the retirement age hasn't gone out much, but mortality is really pushed Correct. out. That's we, the issue. We just got through talking about long-term care. Yeah, and, exactly. And so, and so there's a whole industry out there to prolong uh, prolong the life of man. Right. Uh, and while we're trying to do it and keep them healthy, we're not necessarily keeping them healthy, but we're keeping them alive exactly. right now. Exactly, yeah. So that is certainly something because Social Security provides uh, quite a bit of funding, especially for the people that are in that position. But- there was a poll done, by a Harris poll that was done, and, and it actually showed that there was an increase of 10% uh, from 21 over to 2022 or whether they were going to receive their money from Social Security. Well, there's so much political football out there that, I mean, when you talk about this trust fund, when people hear them talking about the trust fund, 
they think they're talking about all of social all security. Social security, right? So, so they get they get afraid that well, I'm not going to collect anything. And and when you look at the the data that's in this poll, certainly the younger people are not engaged nearly as much as the older people because they're further away from from actually utilizing those funds. So uh, today, uh, just so people have an idea, the average the average monthly benefit is about fifteen hundred ninety two dollars from the Social Security Administration. That's about what the average a person takes home. Out of everybody in the United States, that's what's being taken home. But one of the things that came from the the uh, uh, study was that people were unaware of all the factors that affected their income from Social Security. I mean, only seven percent of the respondents were able to um, were able to pick all the things that affected their income. So when you talk about that, I mean, the reality between those those different factors. I know work history is one of them. I mean, just the fact that. And, and of that group, most everybody understood work history is critical. Yes. But, but here's the other thought, though. When it gets down to marital status, it was less than one out of four understood that marital status was critical. And a lot of people, 17%, actually thought that it was life expectancy. Well, the government has no idea how long you're going to live. That's right. But a big thing is when they choose to start taking their benefits. And historically, the data has shown that people are always, or not always, but there's a huge number of people that take their benefits way too early. They want to start at 62. And a lot of people, when you engage them with that question, they say, well, they're afraid that the, the funds are going to go, uh, that going to go belly up and they're not going to get their money. And they're afraid they're going to, afraid that they're, they may, they, I've heard people say, well, but what if I die? Yeah. I won't get my money. Yeah. And I just say, but what if you live? Live, yeah. That's I mean, that's pretty, what we're trying to protect against. Yeah. So there's lots of decisions that they have that they can, uh, that they have to make that actually impact their Social Security. There is also the ability to, uh, to work with your spouse in terms of your benefits, and people don't take that in consideration. There's spousal benefits versus independent benefits. Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of the people that uh, were given this poll had no idea of how to work with their spouse to work with the total income for the family. And there's even benefits for ex-spouses. So uh, a lot of people are not engaged in those benefits. Let me ask you this. Talk about income from Social Security. How much should they expect is going to be replaced. How much is Social Security, let me ask it this way, how much is Social Security going to replace of the income on average? Well, let, let me take away the guesswork. I think what people should do, they don't do this till late, but they think they can go to www.ssa.gov. They can go on there and register and they can see exactly what their benefit is calculated to be. They can see their work history. They can see what their benefit will be at 62, 63, 64, 65, 66, and they can start planning for that. Uh, it certainly has a lot to do with their income. It has to do with the number of years that they've worked. It has to do with when they, when they, ex when they want to take that benefit. Uh, but the best thing to do is for them to go online and to get an actual number. When I start working with someone, I ask them to bring that number to me. I want to know what the government is planning to give them. And then with that history, if they've got a lot of history, then I, I, can, I can look at that and see whether or not that's going to change much based on their continued work. If, you've got a, if you have a spouse, if you have someone that, that took care of the children when they were in college and they have just started, they started working, you know, maybe they were out, out of the workforce for 15, 20 years and they just started working, then their benefits are changing dramatically as they continue to work. 
But someone that's been working all their life, when you get up to 65, 66, I mean, their benefits aren't changing that much. That's a great, great point. So, I mean, again, reminding, we're talking about Social Security. Ted Miner's with us. We, you know, that's critical. We're going through this process of helping us understand. You got Jason Harrington and Scott Jordan going to tips on financial, being financially fit. I, I guess, I guess. Ted, when I when you mentioned that that there's this this way to figure it out, go to ss.gov. What's the number if I'm approaching retirement, and you say to me, okay, I'm making a thousand dollars. All right, just using that as a number. That's what I make an annual income. What should I expect or desire or plan to replace when it comes to retirement planning? I will tell you this: that forty percent of the people. It's a little bit different statistic than you're asking for, but forty percent of the people that are on Social Security—that is one hundred percent of their income, everything they receive from Social Security. So when you start thinking about, okay, now what does it replace in terms of what I was making? Social Security was designed where the lower your income is, the higher percentage of it it actually uh, replaces. And so a person that's making, you know, $20,000 a year, and if they work a, a number of years, then it'll replace 60 to 70% of that income. But a person that's making making the upper limits, it's going to be, you know, maybe 15, 20%, just depending on how much money they make. So what should be that target number, though? If I'm going to retire, go back to my question, if I'm going to retire and say, I know, you know, I've heard 70%, I've heard 80%, I've heard 90%. You know, I know that's such a big swath of numbers but if you're in your planning and i'm asking basically ted you know is going to answer the question but scott you're you know jason if you're going to weigh in on this this is important because i think that's the planning process it's kind of like yeah. when you guys get talking about being financially fit it's that process of what i'm working towards so what's my target number for retirement well when you're just looking at a number 50 to 80 percent you know somewhere around there but we we're a little bit more systematic than that a lot of times we That's want a to, big number. Big, big it, it is, and and it depends a lot on your income. A lot of times we'll sit down and look at cash flow from from someone to see. First of all, you're not going to be putting money into a 401k anymore. Okay. So the money you're setting aside. That's not money you have to have in retirement. You're not going to be paying Social Security taxes anymore. So some of these things go away. Medicare Medicare is going to be your medical cost. It depends how much you're paying in medical premiums. So those are just some of the things that you're not going to be paying for anymore. I don't know what your cost is associated with going to work, but those sort of costs are going out. So it's good to sit down and be able to do a cash flow statement and say, these things are going away. These things, I'll still pay the same for my cell phone, my utility bill, my mortgage, my car payment. Those things are going to be the same, insurance rates. But what's going? then we have to look at what's going to change. But if you're just looking for a number, it's, it's between 50. It's a big number, 50 to 80%. That's a big difference. Yeah, that's a great point. But in that lower number, 50% is for a person with a higher income. I got you. I got you. Well, I, you know, Ted, that's a, that's a great way of putting it. And the thought process, Scott knows that when we talk with somebody, Scott, we're always saying if you've been watching a 60-inch color television flat screen, you don't want to retire and have to watch a 14-inch black and white. That's absolutely correct. And I think the closer you get out to retirement, the easier it is to kind of nail that number down because you have a better idea. But I think, you know, if you're young, I think shooting for that 70%, somewhere in that range replacement rate is a good target. But again, as you get closer out to that day when you're no longer going to be working, you can really zero in on that number. And, and in some cases, it's 100%. It kind of depends on what people have been used to spending, right? So, um, but I, I think I, I agree with Ted, you know, sometimes if the income is real higher, you can live on much less or can plan to live on much less. But, you know, if you're 
spending most of what you're making today, you're probably not going to change that a lot in retirement. You're yeah, not going to go to watching that black and white TV <laughs> from that 60-inch color. That's a great point. That's a great point. Ted, when you think about this, Medicare and Social Security, it's kind of like that's a conversation that everybody has to have. And so when we do that, I mean, help help me how they those two interact with each other. I mean, Social Security interacting with Medicare. Well, certainly, you're, when, first of all, when you retire, your Medicare premiums are going to be coming from your Social Security check. Uh, this year, interesting enough, Social Security went up uh, is going ne- next year. Next year, eight point seven percent. Medicare premiums are coming down three percent, little little over three percent. That's a tremendous number. That is when you I'm, think about. It, I mean, everybody that's retired now getting Social Security, don't don't have a wreck. Just clap. That's all you need to do. Just just but stay. Be careful. That's that's right, but it is, it is amazing. We haven't had those premiums to come down in a long time, and the fact that we've got inflation the way it is, and and Social Security paycheck goes up, but the Medicare premium comes down. Usually, the amount of increases is, is eaten up by the by how much Medicare goes up. So it's really it's really a great blessing to those people. Another thing is your Medicare premiums that you pay for Medicare are tied to your income, which includes Social Security. But those premiums can be as much, if your income is high enough, it can, it can be $560. So it can be 170 up to $560 premium in, in Medicare, uh, in Medicare for, depending on your income. So that is one thing that's completely different than, than a Social Security benefits. Your Social Security benefits are set, but Medicare is tied to your income. Yeah, that's a great question. We have a question, by the way, when you, when you come back and think through this. What benefits are available for an ex-spouse, and when are they eligible? I mean, we get that question. It's a question we've got for today. So help me with that. Ex-spouse, what's the benefit? Well, the the ex-spouse, I mean, actually the benefits, if you've been married for 10 years and you have uh, been divorced, uh, uh, I say when uh, you've been divorced by, say, two years, then you have uh, have benefits for your other, for your ex-spouse, as long as you have been married. Uh, also, you don't want to you don't want to get married before sixty two, which is the year that you can start your benefits. I know people that have changed their wedding dates so <laughs> that they could get benefits from their ex spouse. Um, so they're getting married, the new spouse. That, that's right. Wanted, that's right. You. So does that penalize the ex spouse? No, the ex spouse don't even have to know about it. Okay, and it does not affect his his uh, new wife if he if he got married again. As a matter of fact, Johnny. Carson. Yeah, he set the record. Didn't he, he he had four he had four different women that were collecting full benefits off of off of his social security because he had married each of them for over ten years. So that's another thing that's probably wrong with the social security system. The benefits that were collected off of his income were four times what it was really planned to be. What a legacy! <laughs> I'm just. But they are. But they are available, and people need to look in that if they haven't remarried before 62, and uh, uh, if they were married for 10 years and they've been divorced for two, then th- those are benefits they need to look at. And they do not. Here's a benefit: you do not have to coordinate your benefit with your ex. Now, if you're married, you do. Otherwise, if you're married, you cannot get your spousal benefit until your spouse has turned on their benefit. If you are divorced, you do not you're, you're, you do not have to wait for them to turn on their their benefit. So, let me ask you this: I, you you're you're just an enormous amount of knowledge, and I so much appreciate that. And how important? I mean, I, I'm Scott, Jason, both of you are way on this. We talk to a lot of people. 
that ask a lot of questions. We answer a lot of questions on the program. And, and I so much appreciate you listening that you are sending us questions. And remind you, if you've got a question, type, just type it into JIM, text line 901-683-0989, or send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll get your questions on. may not be immediate, but we'll get your questions on. If we can help you, we'll answer the question. You can just simply call us at the office at 901-757-5757. Here's my question. You guys get an enormous number of questions. How important does your client say to you that you have the knowledge that you have? Because I'll be honest with you, it, as you mentioned earlier, 2,700 different rules. I mean, that's a, you know, that's a book. I guess you could quote most of those, right? Well, yeah, a, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. I, I, you know, like anything that you study, you know, the, uh, you know 80% of the questions are all the same. You know, the, the ones that are bothering somebody is bothering somebody else. Every once in a while you get one you have to do a little, do a little bit of research on. But, uh, you know, a lot of my clients, I have a number of clients that came to me because of Social Security. Uh, I have some of them that they would, in, in their financial planning, their their previous financial advisor would not engage. They didn't want to talk about Social Security. But for the most part, what happens is the clients that I have, when they get to that age and we start planning for it, they have they had no idea when we start engaging ourselves with the rules and the and the benefits and how to plan around when to take it and when they should take it when would, when it would optimize their their income from social security and things they had no idea that they're going to in many most cases uh, they're going to receive over a million dollars in social security benefits and uh, it's the one benefit I tell people this in social security money there's two huge benefits to social security money number one it's not taxed like regular money. Uh, at most, at most, 85% of it is taxed. And in lower incomes, sometimes none of it is taxed. Uh, also, it has a cost of living adjustment with it every year. So a dollar's worth of Social Security money is much more than a dollar's worth of pension money because most pensions, unless it's a government pension, uh, most pensions do not go up at all. So if you live through retirement for 20 years, whatever that pension was 20 years ago is what's it going, what it's going to be 20 years later, but not for Social Security. We just experienced 8.7% next year for Social Security. This last year was up over 5%. So we have experienced a period of time here where Social Security income has increased dramatically, dramatically in two years. And that is one of the huge benefits to make sure you get this part of your financial planning done right. Make sure you make the right decisions on Social Security. That's a great, great point. Scott, you see the same thing in your practice where you're talking to people that yeah, just need the answers? They do. And I, and I think, you know, we always tell people when you get ready, you know, whether it's Social Security age or, or turning on Medicare, there are just so many decisions that you have to make at that time that it's just a good idea to sit down and talk through those with somebody because these are important decisions. Ted just said you may get over a million dollars in Social Security benefits. There's a lot of decisions you have to make around Medicare and just having somebody that's been through that and, and knows those systems is, is very valuable to somebody that's having to make those decisions. So, so critical. Jason, I want to lean in on you. Financial tips for getting financially fit. Now, these are maybe not financial tips, just things that people should do. Jason Hinton from Shoemaker Financial. Again, Jason, you do a great job with this, but this is critical for people to understand, and, and we've kind of almost run out of time here. we got enough time to get into the tips, but go through this. The, the question we've got is, is there an outline? I kind of talked with Ditch and Tim Van Horn this past Wednesday about financial tips, and somebody's asked us, do you have an outline? Now, I know you say that you can go to shoemakerfinancial.com and it's posted, the outline's posted on the, on the yes, website. Yes, uh, anybody can get a, a hold of any of our information we do on the radio show. 
uh, on shoemakerfinancial.com, as well as follow us, like us on Facebook, Shoemaker Financial, we're there. Uh, so anyone can click on that and find what they, any of the topics that we talk about on the radio All show. All right, let's, let's go with financial tip number one. My, I love talking about this. This is the time of year where you start talking about resolutions and, and getting you know back in shape or getting financially fit. And there's a lot of similarities to getting financially fit and getting physically fit. You know, if one of the number one things you can do to keep your resolutions and to keep moving forward with some of the goals that you set for is to write them down by hand. Uh, there's a lot of studies out there that say that if you think about them or you tell someone about them, there increases your, you know, your ability to actually hit those goals. But one of the most effective tools is to actually write it down. Um, you know, I love uh, the thought of a vision board. Um, one of the things that a lot of people will do is to talk about having a vision board. My family did this years ago with my kids uh, and we sat down with magazines and we cut them out. It's kind of supposed to be just kind of a, a cute exercise to do with our kids. Uh, but we had it on the side of our refrigerator when you walked into the uh, to the kitchen and each one of the kids would go and circle their goals as they hit them. And I remember one of my son's goals was to learn how to play the drums. And this was a long, long time ago. Now he's a really good drummer and gets to play all over the place and do it. And that gets to be a part of his life. So uh, vision boards are a great uh, tool to use as so well. So when you say, you know, you get started, you're actually saying almost like make it fun, make it a family event, not just a, your job. It's not like you're the, you're the financial guy. So you do all this fun. You just turned it into something that was family all over the place. Yeah. I think you bring up a great point. Hitting goals is fun. Uh, you know, it's enjoyable. Well, it's, it's, it's an accomplishment goal or anything else or any goal. I mean, it should be, uh, it should be taken on as like a fun event. A lot of people get nervous because they feel like goals are going to limit them or this going to take up time or, and, and it will, there will be some, you know, pros and cons and some sacrifice you have to make. But when you accomplish something, it should be considered fun financially the same way. You know, Jason, uh, a number of years ago, about, about 20 years ago, I actually had a, a client that had an extra bedroom in their house. And they took and put all their financial goals, all their debts, all their goals and everything on the walls of their bedroom. And, of course, another thing, and I know you get to this, is reward yourself when you hit a goal. And so every time they'd pay a credit card off, they'd go to dinner at their favorite restaurant. But they would have their whole, they had their whole bedroom. I love with that. With all these different goals. And then... It, it actually bothered them to paint that room. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. They said, this is, the, this is our financial this history, history here. Yeah. yeah. Well, many people will state their goals and make, you know, a vague declaration that they're going to do. And then it just kind of, life happens. You move on to the next thing and the next deadline and the next, you know, obligation. And you sort of forget what you said you were going to do. But when you have that visual, rep, you know, representation of what you want to get done, it's, it's easier to, to accomplish goals. I think one of the other things people can do that's is just to prepare for hitting that goal. Uh, it's, it's much like if you're going to exercise, try to lose weight this time of year, everybody's going to try to come up with some sort of fitness goal, something that they want to do to accomplish in 2023. Uh, and they'll make a, a, a vague declaration about, Oh, I'm going to lose weight, but then they don't really prepare for what it takes to do. They don't allocate the time. They don't know what they're going to do. They walk into the gym with no plan and you're there for 15 minutes, kind of walking around and lost. And so if you have a financial goal, you have something you want to do, start preparing for that. Think about how am I going to do it? What sacrifices am I going to need to make? What, uh, you know, how much is it going to cost? What am I going to do to actually put myself in a position to, to hit this goal? 
You know, you guys, we have uh, just flown by. This is, uh, it's amazing how fast the hour goes when you're having fun. And you guys have definitely made it fun today listening to Social Security. Katrina did a great job talking about long-term care. We're not going to be able to cover all the tips. You got us started, Jason. So I'm hey, you have to have me back. back. You know, there I you mean, go. You know, I'm going to have you back. But well, we will go ahead and post some of this at shoemakerfinancial.com. That's the website or just Shoemaker Financial. And we'll do that for the, you know, to, to help people get started, you know, get started with that. But we will have you back and, uh, you know, we'll look at next week if we can, because right? I think it's important. This is getting people moving in the right direction. And I want to thank you guys, uh, Ted Miner, Jason Harrington, and Scott Jordan for being a part of the program today. And if you want to talk to either one of these three guys, 901-757-5757. You can find our show, if I've told you already, Talk Money on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just simply search for Talk Money at Jim Shoemaker with Jim Shoemaker. And of course, subscribe to the podcast. And uh, we appreciate that very much. Again, if you have questions, it's simply type them to J-I-M to the text line 901 683 0989 or send them to talk money at shoemakerfinancial.com next week my guest greg Pullman. he's going to talk about tax planning for the year end and what we should be doing we'll have jason back if i can fit into jason's schedule we'll talk about some financial tips daniel Irwin from the better business bureau will be here christmas scams and scam school we don't want to miss that that's saturday morning at seven and again on sunday at 9 a.m i want to thank our producer tyler springs does a great job for us guest and content Content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production and marketing assistant, Laura Norsworthy. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong, Kimberly Holtus. We thank them so much. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you being with us every week. Thank you again for being a part of the program. We're here every week to help you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Ted Miner, Scott Jordan, and Jason Harrington are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., Securities Dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Katrina Schneeman is also a registered representative of Securian Financial Services, Inc., and is employed by Securian Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.